Singapore is one of the dream destinations for a lot of Filipino people, not just for travel, but to find employment and eventually to live in. But that is an ambition not so easy to achieve given the fact that, in the past decade, the Singapore government has continued to tighten their inflow of foreign talent. Those of us who had the good fortune of finding a job there enjoyed how different it was compared to the Philippines in terms of lucrative salary, low personal income taxes, attractive career opportunities, safety, cultural diversity, not to mention a massive variety of high-quality cuisine. It's also a gateway to Western work culture, since a lot of global companies have their regional headquarters based there. It is everything that a Filipino professional could possibly ask for. So why would anyone ever want to leave? Hello everyone and welcome to the 58th episode of Banana Q Podcast. So we talked about our OFW origin story in episode 4. We mentioned how we ended up in Singapore from the Philippines. Initially, we wanted to talk about our Japan and Hong Kong story as well, but it became way too long. So we said, you know what, let's just reserve that for another episode. And a year later, (laughs) here we are. Ray, you left Singapore first. Why don't you start? If I try to recall it correctly, we left Singapore out of frustration because Singapore is so strict with their policy on foreign workforce that there really is a lot of uncertainty for you to remain. Yeah. First of all, before you can get a job in Singapore, before you can legally work in Singapore, you need the blessing of the government. They will issue you an employment pass. And there are a lot of levels to that. There's an S-pass, an employment pass, and there are a lot of categories. But the bottom line is you really need the government to say yes for you to start working. But the problem is they are not very transparent with the rules. Like They will just approve or deny an application without telling you. Like They, they give you a, a very vague guidelines. Like, say, for example, you must earn enough to survive in Singapore. But as to whether there's a definite number, no, they won't give you. So that's the problem. And I applied for permanent residence in Singapore when I was maybe about three years already living. And I got rejected. They never told me why. So it's so painful, right? (laughs) It's like getting dumped by a girlfriend. (laughs) And then you ask, hey, why did you dump me? And then she will just ignore you and then, you know, not tell you. That's so painful, right? So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe it's still too early for me to apply. Maybe they're looking for somebody who is more tenured. So down the road, when I was on my fifth year, I applied again. But then nothing really changed. I tried changing my photo. Maybe it was the photo <laughs> that sure. got me rejected in the first place. But still, I was rejected again. So I got rejected twice. That's why I had a talk with Monmon and we tried to consider other places for us to go. You know, a country with immigration policies that are more transparent, like Canada, for example, they have a point-based system for immigration. For as long as you can comply with the points, then you are eligible. Australia has similar approaches as well. Mm -hmm. And also Japan. We first went to the U.S. for our holidays, and we considered U.S. as well because my employer before had an office in New York. 
Monmon's employer also has an office in New York. So it could be a potential location for us to transfer. But then when we were there, there wasn't a compelling reason for us to believe that we can work and live in New York. So it wasn't what you expected, is it? Yeah. It's not like friends or how I met your mother made it (laughs) out to be. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe because we we got so hyped up, like our expectations are so high because of movies that we see or perhaps TV series that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And when we were actually there, eh, probably also because we went to places that are popular with tourists. That's why there are a lot of people, so crowded. I don't know. Mm. I am just trying to look for reasons. But at the end of the day, we didn't really felt compelled to move to the U.S. Okay. So on the way back to Singapore, we actually had a layover in Japan. Mm-hmm. We stayed there for a couple of nights, if I'm not mistaken. But then all along, we didn't really expect maybe we will like Japan. It was all along U.S. that we wanted to check out, but we fell in love with Japan. We, we talked seriously and then, hey, we can consider living in Tokyo or in Japan in general. There was an opening in Monmon's employer. There's a chance for her to transfer to Tokyo. And she told me, hey, if I get this job, would you follow me? Or would you be able to talk to your employer as well to request for a transfer? And so I did. So I told my boss, hey, boss, my wife got a job in Tokyo. I need to move with her, obviously, because we share the same bed. So So it, it was pure luck as well that there's an opening in Monmon's employer side and My boss also agreed that I moved to Tokyo. The interesting thing is there was no change in my role. Like I'm still doing the same job. It's just that physically I'm relocating to Tokyo. Yeah, that's very good. So how about you, Dee? Why did you move out of Singapore and migrate to Hong Kong? Well, as you already mentioned, right, it's very difficult to see yourself for long term in Singapore because it's difficult to get a PR. Exactly. Because everyone I knew applied and got rejected. The last person who was Filipino who I knew who got approved was like in 2009. Whoa. We have a common friend as well that he's already a permanent resident and he's been PER for a long time. But then the renewal got rejected. So permanent resident status expires every five years, which is a little bit strange and ironic that (laughs) it's not really permanent because you still need to renew and you can get rejected. So you see, even permanent residents have that uncertainty as well. Yes, they're not transparent about the reason why they reject someone. So my Singaporean friends were the ones who thought that maybe it's because they're protecting the ratio of nationalities or races in Singapore. For example, Chinese, they're like 90-something percent, but others is like less than 1%, I think. So Filipinos are just lumped among with all the others, right? So if there are too many Filipinos that get approved, then you're going to skew the ratio. Yeah. But I don't know how true that is. That was just a hypothesis. That's the problem. All of these are just (laughs) intelligent guesses. (laughs) Exactly. So we don't know. And the thing is, I also had this Canadian teammate. She herself hired an agency to help her get a PR. Like they told her to be part of the community, basically. Integrate. And then um, donate to charities. And then she had to get a recommendation from a Singaporean as well, like a letter saying that, oh, this woman is an outstanding whatever, you know what I mean? So she did all this thing. She paid maybe 2000 Singapore dollars or something like that. And at the end, she still got rejected. What? 
and then they didn't tell you why, right? That's the problem. You 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 go all the hassle, you pay a lot of money, and they won't tell you why. What you need to do? Maybe because of this reason, right? Singapore is considered a transit place for most Filipinos. I moved to Singapore. I was sad. I had just a few friends. Eventually, I had a lot of friends, but then all of them left, like you, for example. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of my little Sambuanga friends, they also left. So towards the end, I was feeling a bit sad because like, I was left with just very few friends. Of course, I also started thinking about my future. And I, like you, I also considered Australia and Canada because they are points-based. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough points in Australia because even though I graduated with an accountancy degree, none of my jobs after that was really accounting, not like debit credit. It's finance, but I didn't have the title of accountant. So because of that, I didn't have enough points. And then I thought, okay, I want to go to Canada. I told my friends that I wanted to move to Canada. I even tried applying internally. But unfortunately, my former company, they were trying to reduce headcount in Canada because it's more expensive, right? And they're moving it to India or Philippines where it's cheaper. Then my bosses, who were very supportive and very nice, so my SVP and my EVP, she herself decided to ask our CFO if I could be moved to Toronto. Wow. That's a really nice boss. But in the end, the CFO, that's not in line with the global strategy, blah, blah, blah. So it didn't really push through, unfortunately. So that was where I was. And I promise this is related. That was my mindset, right? And then in January 2020, so just last year, my friend Tyne, who has guested on our podcast many times ah, yes. already, right? Several times, yes. Suki. <laughs> yes, yeah, Suki. So she asked me to send her my CV because they might have an opening for me in their office in Montreal, Canada. Nice. They said, okay, sure, why not? I At that time, I didn't even have my CV updated. So I updated it for her and then I sent it to her. And then the very next day after she had sent it to her boss, I got an email from their company HR. Wow, very quick. Asking if I wanted to interview for a position. <laughs> yeah, but it was in Hong Kong. So like what? <laughs> um, that's not what I applied for. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I was like, what? So I really wasn't interested. But then Tyne told me, you know, maybe you should just give it a try. Like, who knows, right? It could still be a stepping stone into Canada in the future. So I said, okay, sure. And then I interviewed for it. But I did not really expect much because the role itself was a higher position. And I didn't really believe that I was qualified to get it. I know it's just my confidence issue, I guess. But they offered me the position. Nice. In the past, you know, that's like, okay, you would immediately say yes, because when you're young, you're just excited about new things and all that. But as you know, when you're already tita, you become risk averse, right? And then you start considering other things. Like, first of all, Hong Kong at the time was always in the news because of protests. So it seemed unsafe compared to Singapore, which is like super pristine. But aside from that, I was also concerned about uprooting myself and moving somewhere where I didn't really know anyone. I mean, I, I had one friend, but he was moving away. So, you know, when you're an OFW, friends are very important, right? They're your family. And it's a lot harder to make friends when you're older. So these were my main considerations. But then Tyne said, why don't you make a pros and cons list? That most be would like that. <laughs> In the end, the pro side was way longer, actually, than the con side. So despite my reservations, I decided to take the job. Awesome. And that's how I ended up in Hong Kong. To put that into context, protests were happening in Hong Kong. And when you moved, it was during the pandemic as well. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, that added to the complication, right? But then it still made more sense career-wise. And you've been in Singapore for 11 years. Maybe it's time for a new move. So I signed the contract. How's the immigration policy in Hong Kong? Is it points-based as well or is it similar to Singapore? When it comes to work, it's not points-based. They don't really say like what is required, but I think you need to prove that you have experience, right? So that means a fresh graduate cannot apply for a job here and expect to get approved. So you need to have some experience. When it comes to permanent residency, it's usually if you've been here seven years, you will get approved. Nice. So it's not like Singapore, right? And also, one more thing, speaking of immigration, in Singapore, right, you're... FIN or foreign identification number is very dependent on your employer. That means if your employer decides to fire you or if you just cannot stand your employer because, you know, you're being bullied or whatever, you cannot just suddenly resign because you only have one month before that expires. In Hong Kong, it's not like that. In Hong Kong, when your employer, first employer anyway, applies for your kind of like FIN, I guess, it's usually a two-year period. But then, if let's say you decide to leave your employer after six months, it doesn't expire. That means you can stay in Hong Kong until the end of that period. So that means it gives you time to look for another job. For example, my friend who left, he resigned in February, I think. But then the pandemic happened. So he had to stay here because, you know, if he flew to the Philippines before he flew to where he was going next, which was Spain, then that's a lot of quarantine yeah, <laughs> quarantining for so long so in the end he decided to just stay here and he could because his work pass was still valid that's the difference is it like that also in japan yeah it's similar in japan but they are more generous so if you qualify for the highly skilled visa they will give you five years worth of stay in japan mm, wow that's very long even though you change employers no matter how many times you want for as long as you give notice to the immigration office that you're changing jobs you're fine to stay in five years and aside from that if you're on that visa as well you're on priority to apply for permanent residence that's why i was able to apply even before the five years expired and right now i'm a pr in japan congrats finally <laughs> what's that song Going back to the corner where I, the, the man who can't be moved. Because <laughs> I'm permanent. I can't be moved. Okay. <laughs> but then do you need to renew your PR? So there's a difference. So in Singapore, you need to renew your PR status. But in here, you just need to renew your ID. Technically, they can't revoke unless you did something criminal. Then they will revoke your PR. So your status remains permanent okay it's just that they need to update your photo your address if that has changed so just the physical identification card will expire but your status indefinitely will become permanent resident now that's the true permanent resident then all right let's move on to cost of living so can you compare the cost of living in japan against singapore and the philippines i, I would say japan is a lot more expensive especially in the housing department so comparing to singapore home sharing is very common like you can go to pinoysg.com and you would see a lot of filipinos offering their houses to you like you can cohabitate with them but in japan probably because there's not a lot of filipinos in tokyo specifically as well that is why there's not really like a massive community that would allow you to co-live 
with Filipino. And, and also the sizes of the apartments in Tokyo are also very small and tiny that it's not really practical to share. And similar to you, we came to Tokyo without really knowing anyone. Like mm. We really were left on our own. So we had no choice. We had to rent out a place for ourselves. And if we compare that with how much we were paying in Singapore, it's, I don't know, it's it's crazy difference. Times three, times four, something. More than times three, I think. It's quite a significant jump. So for food, I would say it's a lot more expensive in Japan as well. Because number one, there's no hawkers in, in Japan. So that's what I miss in Singapore. So in Singapore, you can really get the affordable food options because they have what they call hawker, which is like similar to our karinderia, the Philippines. So it's not really restaurant prices. Yeah, one meal would be like less than five Singapore dollars easy, right? And that's yes, already easy. a very satisfying, delicious meal. Yeah. But in Japan, at a minimum, you would spend maybe 12 Singapore dollars for lunch. And that doesn't include your drinks. Mm, okay. 1,000 yen, that's the normal lunch budget, unless you want to go to convenience store every time. But would you say that the salary, if you factor in Singapore versus Japan, because you had a lateral move, so you would be in a perfect position to say, the salary also is bigger, right? They bumped it up. Yeah, that's right. So we also did negotiate. I, I negotiated as well with my boss. I did also pros and cons similar to you. And to be honest, in the negotiating table, I didn't have a lot of leverage, right? Because... I was the one asking the company to let me move. Yes. So my bargaining power is not that strong. But, but still, I was able to negotiate a salary that would make sense for me transferring to Japan, considering the higher taxes that I need to pay, considering the higher cost of living. And I also know that once you are in Japan, it's quite tough to increase your salary because inflation is really stagnant here in Japan. So there's a lot of demographics, economic factor that uh, constitute to that. So I was able to do that. And so I would say net-net, I'm better off in Japan. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it should be like that, right? But would you say that um, based on your research, I guess, what was the percentage increase that is needed? If you move from Singapore to Japan, how much increase in salary should you negotiate for in order to be happy? I would say at least 30% increase. Okay. To the very least. Obviously, when you do your comparison, you have to do it net of tax basis because the taxes in Singapore is dirt cheap, right? Yeah. And they even give us 50% off during the 50th anniversary of Singapore. And that wasn't really surprising. <laughs> but yeah, yes. so you have to do it net of tax basis and then you add 30% to compensate for the cost of living. E even the transportation is quite expensive as well in Japan. Buses would cost you on a flat rate $2 per trip. My fare in Singapore is like cents. But I've always talked about Japan being more expensive, being less convenient. But I think beer and alcohol is a lot cheaper in Japan. So uh. <laughs> I would say that's the saving grace. Everything else is expensive. How about the difference between Singapore and Hong Kong? Lee? How would you say is the, the biggest difference? And I would say are the similarities with Hong Kong and Singapore? So like Japan, Hong Kong is more expensive than Singapore. So obviously, we didn't compare to Philippines. <laughs> we just realized we never did. If you want to see the comparison for that, you can listen to episode four, where we compare Philippines and Singapore, right? So we already thought that Singapore was 
a lot expensive <laughs> compared to the Philippines, but yes. apparently it's cheap, right? So rent also is more expensive here. So I would say, I guess my rent maybe tripled when I moved here. But to be fair, though, when I was in Singapore, I was sharing the flat. So same as you, right? You were sharing the flat. That's probably why when you moved to Japan, it became more than times three. But if maybe we were renting the flat on our own, maybe it's not that much. I live in a central location, though. So probably if I live somewhere far away, then it would be cheaper. But I'm fine because, you know, my place right now is like 20-ish minutes to my office. I can walk. And aside from that, the food also is way cheaper in Singapore. So here, on a daily basis, the cheapest that you could find probably is like 10 Singapore dollars. Unless you bring your own baon. It's more expensive. And at first, it's like a bit of a shock. But, you know, eventually you get used to it, right? Because like you, I made sure that there was a salary increase factored in by coming in here. Like, I actually had a friend who moved from Singapore to Hong Kong laterally. So like you, right? He moved internally, same role. So his salary, he said, was adjusted by 25% to factor in the difference in cost of living. Mm, that makes sense. This is gross, though. Because in terms of tax, usually you would think that Hong Kong is a bit higher than Singapore tax. Like, it's 14%. But Singapore is, I forgot what percent Singapore is. Roughly 7%. Similar to GST, but it's graduated, right? So it's not really a direct percentage. So the Mm. more you earn, obviously, the higher the rate is. Hong Kong, I think the 14% is what I first researched. But actually, that was after a deductible. But then you get a discount. Like, for example, last year, the discount was, I think it was 10,000 Hong Kong dollars discount on your tax. What is it? Anniversary of Hong Kong as well? (laughs) No. Apparently, every year they get that. So my friend said it was better before that. Like, the year before that, it was 20,000 Hong Kong dollars. So, in effect, I think the tax of Hong Kong and Singapore is similar. So it's less than 10%. Let's talk about the weather as well. A big difference between Singapore, Philippines to Tokyo, Mm -hmm. Japan in general, is the four seasons. Like, I've never experienced a country with four seasons before Japan. At first, it was really nice. We arrived October, so it was just before the start of winter. So it's starting to get chilly. It's really nice. Being a Filipino, we've been living in a very tropical country. So having that change is really nice. But then as winter progressed, (laughs) it became apparent that my body is not built for winter. Okay. And it's also very windy there. When I visited you there during spring, it wasn't even winter, but it was still very cold because of the very heavy wind. You're right. In Tokyo, it rarely snows. But the problem is, you're right, it's the wind. That's the one that's the problem. And so you have to wear appropriate down jackets from Uniqlo for you to survive. And not just that, also at home, you need to be equipped with the right equipment as well, like air conditioning and heaters. Like, that's something that we've never thought of before. In Singapore, you just need a cooler and that's it. We don't have a problem of heating because yeah. it's already hot <laughs> in Singapore. So I think that's one of the biggest difference. It's similar to Hong Kong, right? You also have four seasons. We also have four seasons here, but I think it's not really a clear cut because we don't really have snow here as well. What is the lowest degree Celsius that you get there during winter? Five, six, or even lower sometimes. So it's slightly colder than here because in January, the lowest was 8 degrees Celsius. But that was just for a few days. So yes, like you, I also had to adjust. 
at first I was so exciting. Like, I can wear sweaters, I can wear boots with the fur, or you know, and coats, which is actually my favorite parts about outfits. So it dropped to 8 degrees Celsius, so I had to buy a space heater. What is that? The space heater is actually a tiny electric fan, but it's blowing hot air. Ah, I see. I, I thought when you said space heater, so it's a transition from coats, right? I thought you were referring to a coat and space heater. It's like, huh? Is that an <laughs> astronaut suit? It's like a heater for space? <laughs> no. <laughs> I got so confused. Okay, so you're... No. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Sorry, no. I'm talking about the uh, yeah the electric fan, but for hot air. It doesn't really heat the whole flat. Like you need to sit right beside it for it to warm you. But it's enough. Just make sure that you're bundled up. Like obviously you cannot wear sleeveless and stuff. Like you have to be bundled up. And usually that one, you know, just make sure that it's blowing on your hands or on your face. So that means you're wearing a jacket while at home to compensate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not... Also, the flats here are not really insulated as well. So that means you will really feel the cold because most of the year, you don't really need that. That's something that we felt as well, like the hassle of winter. We enjoy wearing coats and all, but actually wearing them and then when it gets wet and it's so expensive to maintain, buying them is expensive as well. It really is an investment. Yeah, but the novelty... Right? The first time, it's really exciting. Like, ooh, I can wear scarves. Ooh, I can wear coats, that sort of thing. But then... One day later. <laughs> yeah, after a while, it gets like, ugh, layers. <laughs> like, you know, you have to wear so many things before you go out. Like, sometimes, okay, I need to go outside and buy something. Like, oh, I need to put on so many things and then I need to take them off. That's right. Never mind. <laughs> How about safety? Cleanliness. I, I would say Tokyo and Singapore are similar. Crime is, I would say it still exists. Like it's not non-existent, but the crime rate is so low. So you can confidently walk alone, even in a dark alley or go jogging all by yourself, even during midnight. So I would say very close and similar to Singapore. And cleanliness, I would say same as well. It's quite clean here. Yeah, Japan is very clean as well. I think for Hong Kong, safety is the same. Um, cleanliness, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Because in Singapore, they repaint the HDB flats like every few years. So that's why it looks new all the time. And then here, it, it, they don't do that. So the buildings look really old and they are, there are so many of them. And also the air and the streets, they're not also as clean as Singapore. But there's something about the air or I don't know, water or something here that made my skin react. When I moved here, started getting pimples when before I was practically zit proof. <laughs> I remember you bought the shower head that has the was a purifier. <laughs> oh yeah, body love. This is not sponsored, but there's a body love shower head. Yes, the filter shower head. Because at first I said, is it the air? So I bought an air filter. So that didn't help. So I thought maybe it's the water. So I bought the Body Love filter, which turned out to be advertised by Hyun Bin, the actor from Crash Landing on You. <laughs> <laughs> so now your skin is like Hyun Bin? Yeah, Hyun Bin. No, not really. But it did improve. I think it's because I live in an old building. So the water is like really dirty, it turns out. I just didn't realize. So I think that was the reason why my skin was overreacting. So maybe that's something that you need to 
keep in mind if you're moving from Singapore to Hong Kong, maybe make sure that you have filters in your taps. Body love, not sponsored. <laughs> How about language barriers? Ah, yes. That's something that Japan and Singapore are polar opposites. So in Singapore, you can get by very easily because everybody speaks English. If you go there, it's really no issues at all. Anyone can speak English. You have no problem. But in Japan, it's quite the opposite. Uh, rarely can you see somebody who's comfortable to speak in English. Even though that person, that Japanese person, probably knows English, it's just that they're not confident. So they would not speak to you or uh. just try to avoid you. Mm. So that's really one of the biggest issues we have here. Although that difference in language is compensated by the kindness of the people as well. Ah, uh, Okay. If you are in trouble, you need something translated, they would help you in ways that you can't expect. Like if you need directions to a place, they would go with you. Mm. Just because they can't give you the instructions in English, they would go beyond their ways and just assist you going to that place. That wouldn't happen in Singapore, I would say. Yes, no, not at all. <laughs> you would get scolded by auntie. Huh? You don't know, huh? Why, huh? Why you don't know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's so, so say, true. <laughs> those two things are opposites in Japan and Singapore. How about Hong Kong? Yeah, I would think that Hong Kong, um, they're also homogenous, like Japan, like the Philippines. So a lot of them speak Cantonese, right? People here do know English, but maybe they're also not that confident. The ones on the streets anyway. In the office, there are a lot of people who can speak English well, but there are a few. They can probably write it well, but not really speak it well. When they see you and you try to make small talk with them, they look afraid or they stutter or something when they reply to you. My aircon guy. So when I have to have something done to my aircon, I can only speak to him through my landlord because he really doesn't speak English and I don't speak Cantonese. So it's like really difficult. We have to point fingers or whatever. And like, <laughs> what does he want? Water? What does he want? I don't know. <laughs> and also the guard in our building. I don't remember if I told this story before in one of our episodes Wherein this guard that we had, like she didn't know how to speak English. And then on my first week here or something, I threw away this coffee table. There's this area on each floor where you throw the trash, right? So I threw the coffee table there. But it turns out it's not allowed there. So the building's guard caught me and she told me that I wasn't supposed to dump large items there. Ah, and yes. that I had to dispose of it a few blocks away. But she didn't speak English. So she told me all this using a mixture of Cantonese, sign language, and Google Maps. <laughs> what? <laughs> Somehow I understood. I don't know how, but maybe because living in Singapore, you also have kind of those moments, right? Like your teammates are speaking in Mandarin amongst themselves. And then you would be really good at understanding context or body language, right? So maybe because of that, my training in Singapore or whatever, off. somehow I understood her. So she gave me this cart where I would put the table and then I wheeled it to that place. And then when I came back, she was super happy. So she met me at the door and she cried out, very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> and then she clapped her hands and did a thumbs up sign. <laughs> very good to her as well. She was able to convey the message. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really the painful part, right? Even with basic, very basic services. Yeah. It's really hard to navigate without the local language. So that's similar experience. I've experienced that a lot here in Japan as well. 
I, I would say they have improved a lot. Like there are a lot of services now that offer bilingual services, like getting your internet connected and all that. But still, there are a lot of avenues that they can improve. Like only a Japanese person would be able to understand. That's where asking for help from a friend would come in handy. So maybe if you want to apply for something, get electricity connected or internet connection, do that in the office where you have office mates that can help you and let them you know, speak on the phone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And also the websites, right? If you go on a website, the default language is you know, Japanese for you. For me, it's Chinese. Mm. And it's in Japanese or Chinese characters. So you cannot even <laughs> read it yes. at all. So it's like, oh, it makes life a bit more difficult. Like even simple things like shopping. In Singapore, the default language is English. So now it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to shop anymore because I cannot understand this website. So you would rather sometimes shop on Amazon because at least it's in English, even if it's probably slightly more expensive. You're paying for the convenience, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get a headache. And it's easy returns as well if you don't like it. Imagine returning something, returning an item to a shop that doesn't speak English. Good luck. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why don't we transition to culture, especially in the office environment, right? You've alluded to having people generally speak English in the office, but in Japan, that's not the case as well. And aside from that, Japanese people require a little bit more time to warm up before they can feel close. Mm. Probably because growing up, they are trained to treat strangers differently. Like they wouldn't even call you by your first name at first meeting. They would either call you by your last name plus the son. Oh. And then they would use different words as if they were speaking casually to a friend. So they use different words. They're very hierarchical, I would say. That's in relationships with colleagues and also with bosses. Ah. They can't leave the office if their boss is still around. Uh, It's very unproductive, right? Even if you're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. What if you're already done? There's nothing to do, yeah. But I would say that's similar to Philippines, no? I guess so. Not to that extent that you won't leave if your boss is still there, but Mm. we are also very hierarchical. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we are. We don't normally say no to a boss we avoid at all costs have an argument with our bosses yeah but that's a very different experience we have in singapore we're in more open you can speak your mind right yes so i would say singapore is the most open mid philippines and then japan is different when it comes to uh, the workplace right like obviously not when it comes to friendships it's different right Uh, yeah definitely philippines are way more open like uh, from day one from minute one <laughs> you're more open <laughs> yeah i think it's similar in hong kong as well they are also not as warm as filipinos but then again like who is exception <laughs> filipinos are like on the warmth scale we are like like you know volcano warm it's not even warm that's hot but anyway so it's like that but i would say hong kongers are very similar to singaporeans in that sense I didn't really experience much of a culture shock when I moved from Singapore to Hong Kong, unlike when I moved from Philippines to Singapore. I think we've mentioned a lot of this also in our episode 21, right? And why it's easier to make friends with Filipino colleagues. 
in the office tends to be that work is work. I mean, there's chit-chat and all that. You have non-work conversations as well or they invite you to lunch sometimes. But you feel that it's just a surface-level friendship. It's not like how deep Filipino office friendships go. Japan, in my first few weeks, nobody invited me for lunch. Except, of course, with my teammates. On the first day, they would... On the first day, that's it. I really had to initiate conversations with people, make me more visible to them and insert in the conversations that, hey, why don't we grab lunch next time? And if they say yes, immediately book a calendar invite. So something like that. Try to be sneaky Um. about it, right? Just so (laughs) you don't lose your sanity. And I would say I'm in an advantage that I came from Philippines because I I can imagine like Americans or Western people coming to Japan, they have a very totally different experience because they're not used to that. And especially for me, I went to Singapore as well. Like I've met warm people. I've met not so warm people, awkward in the office, very open in the office. So I've met the full spectrum. Yes. Getting comfortable in Japan is rather easy for me. Do you have any funny culture shock stories, by the way? Because I already told mine. So what about you? Do you have one? I have a lot, but in the interest of time, the biggest one probably is the bath culture in Japan. Okay, what's that about? So they have public baths called onsen. In the Philippines, we don't have that, nor in Singapore. But in here, they have an open bath culture wherein you would be butt naked in front of strangers, and then <laughs> you would dip in a hot spring with them. On our first month here in Japan, Monmon's employer kindly accommodated us in a service apartment. So it was one of those fancy service apartments in Roppongi that we can't afford, but it was shouldered by the company. So we were there, and part of that service is a bath, like an onsen, not a public bath, but residents can use that bath. And it's my first time, right? So I didn't know what to expect. And? There were labels in English, but it was my first time. So I had to kind of wait for somebody to get in so that I will mimic whatever he does. Remove your shoes, change to slippers, then remove all your clothes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> then you would get two towels, one big towel and one small towel. And then you will bring that to the locker station. So the big towel you will leave behind. Only the small towel you can bring inside a bath. And then the small towel is not to cover your private parts, no. What is it for? It's to dry you off after. Ah, okay. So it's like two-step drying. But then when I got in, there were a few people. But then they were looking at me differently because maybe I was... Like, I didn't look Japanese. It was my first time. I was like, why are they looking at me? <laughs> it was an experience but now every time we travel outside of Tokyo I would book a hotel that has an onsen with it I like it I love it I love the experience it's rejuvenating it's very good ender to a very hectic day so if you're tired from walking around you dip in the hot spring uh, yeah that does sound relaxing to close this off D what are your regrets about moving away from Singapore and probably what do you miss the most? I miss my friends the most, obviously, but aside from that, I also miss the convenience of being able to talk to most people in English or even to go to websites that are not in Chinese characters. 
I really don't have regrets about moving here because, you know, those fears that I had about coming here, they were unfounded. Because first of all, the protests, which was the big issue, right? We don't have them anymore. And that's because of COVID. And also, there's now a law against it. So that's not at all a concern here now. And as for COVID, last year I struggled because I had to stay home and had no chance to make new friends. So at the beginning, my mental health really took a toll. But after that, this year... We have few cases because we have such strict quarantine rules. So life here has been pretty much normal since, I think, February of this year. I go to the office daily. I go out with friends frequently. There's a lot of opportunities to make new friends through expat events. And there's also a lot of Filipinos here, too. I would say Hong Kong is a lot more vibrant than Singapore. There's definitely way more to do and see here. And I'm actually glad I moved here during the pandemic because even though I can't travel, I still get to be a tourist within this country now, right? I can wholeheartedly say that my quality of life has improved and coming here was definitely a good move. Mm, That's a very nice response. What about you? I would say what I miss the most aside from the food would be how cheap things are in Singapore. Like even doing anything like my hobby before was building pcs and i took that for granted because it's rather cheap in singapore you can have access to really good selection at a cheaper price but in here it's really hard to do any sort of hobby because there's a lot of premium and you can see online how much it really is and then hey this is the only choice Mm. like this is the only available item and it's priced almost twice than suggested retail price Mm. it's quite that's something that i really miss but as to regrets Mm. i don't really have any particular regret because moving to tokyo pushed myself out of the comfort zone right had i stayed in singapore i would have been contented with what i have i probably didn't aim for something higher in in my career, I probably still hasn't passed the CFA exams because I got too comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of distractions. Okay. <laughs> if I had to say one regret, maybe not traveling in Southeast Asia enough whilst I was in Singapore. Because Singapore is a hub to a lot of places. Like I've never even been to Australia. And now if I travel to Australia from Japan... It costs a kidney. <laughs> oh, <a> kidney. <laughs> okay. If I compare that with how much I would have spent coming from Singapore, it would have been a lot cheaper. And there are a lot of places I haven't been. Cambodia. I haven't even been to Myanmar. Probably that's one regret. Like before I moved out, I should have maximized traveling the neighboring countries and islands in Singapore because that would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. True. And now you can't even do it because of COVID. (laughs) Who knows when that's going to be available to you. But yes, you're right. Yeah, you should have. And that's it. Pansi. (laughs) Yes, I think this is way too long already. So, Cutie Minute. Time for our followers. Cutie Minute. Your thoughts in our voice. Cutie Minute. Not really one minute, but we're calling it. Cutie Minute. Okay, so our first cutie is Nanita Reyes. She said... I'm listening to your episode 4. Wow, D, you are such an impressive and napaka-inspiring mong person. I love hearing your gutsy stories of pakikipagsapalaran sa Makati, then Singapore, and just totally winging it. Bahala na si Batman moments. <laughs> and then I said, 
Actually, when I listened to myself tell that story, I realized just how crazy I was and how lucky I was that it all worked out. Sometimes risks really pay off. And she said, it was meant to be. And it made me wish I had as much adventures. <laughs> so yeah, I think, yeah, going back, right? The move to Manila, the move to Singapore, they're all crazy risky because I didn't even have any jobs when I moved. So that's why this time around, I was tita already, right? I, I didn't really take those risks anymore. <laughs> our second cutie is our Suki cutie. A table for two, please. This is in response to episode number 11, Can You Live in Japan Without Speaking Japanese? A table for two, please, says, You know, this podcast really reminded me why I keep on going back to Japan. I have a similar experience with yours. My mom and I just wanted to find a certain entrance in Shinjuku Station, and we were at the far end. A random Japanese stranger and also couldn't explain it clearly, so he took us all the way to that entrance. So in love with the people. Also, one funny experience. I was looking for McDonald's because we stayed too long in Japan and wanted McDo. And asked a Japanese where it was. She couldn't understand me. So I showed a picture and she said, Ooh, Makudo Narudo. <laughs> <laughs> so then I realized Japanese language always had a vowel after a consonant. Ha ha ha. Preachy. Yes. <laughs> so the language is very syllabic. They don't really have a standalone consonant with the exception of letter N. So they have N, but everything else mm. has to have a vowel. So, makudu narudu. <laughs> Our next one is from Krish. And she said, I really feel the emotions while listening to these Sambuanga stories. So this is her response to episode 53. Well, how do terrorist acts impact Filipinos. And she said, When I was in the Philippines pa, my area of assignment sa job go is the Mindanao area. I've been to most province of Mindanao and Sambuanga a couple of times and I always say Sambuanga is one of my favorite places in Mindanao. I've been there alone and I never meet anyone that isn't friendly. Yes, the military presence in the streets made me uncomfortable at first because it's not common in Manila but despite how the media portrays Sambuanga, it is still one of the most beautiful places in the Philippines for me. I still remember those sunsets I see in Paseo del Mar. It's priceless. When I'm in there, I always say I want to go back not for work but for vacation. But it never happened. Same for Davao, Cotabato, Sarangani, Iligan, Pagadian, and the rest of Soxcargen and Mindanao area. These places have always been close to my heart. That's why this episode made me miss my days in Mindanao. This episode is my new favorite. It's nice to hear someone have such high praise for Mindanao places, right? Because that's not really, mm. um, you know, commonly discussed, I would say. <laughs> Very underrated. So have you been to that place as well, Paseo del Mar? Yeah. So obviously, it's overlooking the sea because Mar means sea. One of the most famous food that people eat there is actually a dessert called Knickerbocker. What? <laughs> that sounds like a band, Knickerbocker. It's actually a British dessert, but then they made their own version in Sambuanga with what they have. But you know how creative Filipinos are. Our next cutie is Chris L. She says, Hi, finally I found a Filipino podcast. I started listening to you guys today and I must say it kept me giggling and reminiscent the whole time. Oh, that's so sweet. Started with the old episodes and I can relate to Ray with Sari Sari store stuff. Because my mom has one. 37 years strong. Wow. That's a real Sari Sari store. That's not a Sira Sira store. Mm, yeah. 
<laughs> and was once named after Moi. M-O-I, Moi. Moi, it's Moi. Actually, it's French. Is that me? Yeah, me. That's me in French, oh, yes. Named after Moi. Felt embarrassed in high school. Has that big karatula with my name on it. <laughs> but hey, it put me through college. That's nice. I am quite a podcast aficionado. It helps me survive commute and long work hours. And I'm glad to have found you guys. Can't wait to listen to them all. Also, I can relate to you guys because I'm also an OFW. Intro voice had a concert in the DC area. <laughs> but I just can't let myself go in close spaces yet. 90s kid context. Oh, This is too long. Keep safe and awesome job. Yes, I have so many sari sari store stories. Also, my mom says the secret, <laughs> and not so much a secret now, is never to make pautang. <laughs> Maybe to one reliable pair, but not the whole neighborhood. Keep safe. Oh, that is so sweet. Oh my god. Yes, that is a very good tip. <laughs> Don't do pautang. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> yeah, an intro voice. Oh my gosh, it takes me way back. Are they a real band? Yes, what did you think? I thought it's just a term used to people who don't know the middle part and the ending part of a song. They just know the intro. See, according to Google, Intro Voice is a Filipino pop rock band formed in 1986 by Third G Cristobal, Paco Arispaco Chaga, and Jonathan Buencamino. Their song, Line to Heaven, you know that song? That's theirs. Ah. If I ever had a line to heaven, I swear. Yeah. I'd call you there. Yeah. So thank you very much for your comments. And as usual, keep them coming. Yes. And we will be reading out the best in the next few episodes. See you next week. Yes. Bye. Bye.